0: You know, I grew up as an athlete and enjoyed playing sports of all different types. And one of the things that I learned before every game nearly, uh, the good coaches would always have us gather up. They would always kind of do the same pregame speeches. And that is, hey, everybody, you need to quiet down. Everybody get serious. You need to get focused. Everybody get concentrated. They use a lot of terms like get locked in here. We need to get ready to go. And in those times, it's like, boy, if you said a word, you're in big trouble. So it's utter silence during this moment and you're supposed to be getting your, your head in the game. Get ready to go do what you need to do because all these variables are about to hit you that you weren't prepared for, or that you weren't necessarily able to anticipate. But you do need to be prepared so that you can respond correctly, though you don't know what's coming. When Peter wrote the book of 1 Peter, the message that he's getting to this letter that's going out is going to Christ followers that have been scattered all over the place because of persecution. It's a terrible time during the Roman, the Roman government, terrible time for Christ followers because they got abused miserably, many were, have lost their lives. And so Peter's trying to give them instruction here on the genuine hope that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ even though their circumstances are terrible. And he's trying to now give them instruction of how to live godly and holy in the midst of a mess. And so what he's going to instruct them is, first thing, we've got to get focused. You've got to lock in on your, on your mind because this enemy that's going on, and whether, whether you see it through flesh and blood, it's not the flesh and blood that's the problem. Now, we look at it and watch news every day and see all the conflicts and the struggles and all the issues. And it looks like flesh and blood. But if you'll back up from it and look at your Bible, we realize there's a spiritual conflict that's taking place. And yes, there are humans that are being involved in that conflict, no question. But there is a spiritual battle that's taking place. And in my word, the, the amount of pressure being put down even on the church and on Christ followers to where you lose your spot to be able to proclaim a message. How odd it would seem even in a course of like even this week when you watch a professional athlete that would stand when others would not and then all the backwash of pressure that comes with that. I'm not here to exalt one athlete or over the other, that's not the point at all but that's just the reality of where we've come to in in our lives and in in ministry and as a Christ follower even in our own country that if you stand as a Christ follower it's going to cost you something to do that. And Peter had the same issue 2,000 years ago nearly, and now it still applies just the same as today. But here's the message of the hour, and that is get focused. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now the therefore is therefore, before we move on, based on what he has already showed us in the previous verses. Back in verse 9, I'll just tell you what it says, but in back in verse 9... He's talked about the receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So that's what he's referring to. Therefore, based on this faith and the salvation of your souls and this hope you have in Christ, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Girding up the loins of your mind, that's not a phrase we use every day. We would see that first in scripture when someone would gird the loins of their body because they were wearing a tunic type of a, a robe arrangement. And if you're going to be mobilizing quickly, you can't have that thing dragging around your ankles. Or you'll, if you, have you ever tried to go uphill, by the way? I've done this before. I wore a rain poncho once while I was hiking. Bad move. Because the second you start going uphill, you step on the hem of that thing, you face plant. I mean, it's instant, drags you into the mud, you're done it's really embarrassing then you're looking around to see did anybody just see that? you hope not well that's why he tells them to gird up the loins they would in the Passover time they would prepare the Passover lamb back in Exodus and they would put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel and get ready here and that was the point is get ready because tonight when the when the death angels coming through here the firstborn in every household is going to die unless the blood's there but you got to be ready so they, he, they were instructed in Exodus to gird their loins. Get ready to go. you got to be able to run. Be on the move. But now we're girding up the loins of our mind, which is to have a ready mind. It's a, it's a preparation. There's an intentionality about myself that I'm, I'm, I'm not just kind of walking through this life in happenstance of just kind of laissez-faire, whatever will be, will be. No. There's an intentionality about girding my mind because all of the influx that comes against me is constantly the assault of how I think. And if you notice, man, I don't know about you, but I've gotten so frustrated over things in the last several months, and and I watch a ton of news, and and it it impacts me. and messes up my mind. And so then I have to realize, Dwayne, you need need to gird up your mind and get focused. And when you gird your mind now, there's a readiness. There's, as I mentioned, intentionality. I'm going to pay attention and what I'm paying attention to is my Bible. And so none of the things that are happening in this world today should catch me by surprise. It follows the course of Scripture perfectly. So none of it should be of a big shock and awe. In fact, it should cause me then to want to lean into the Lord and, and know the Lord and understand the Scripture even more so because I, I watch it playing out exactly the way the Bible describes to be sober in the mind, gird up your mind, be sober. We understand sober, sobriety comes with not being controlled by a substance, being controlled by emotions. It can be controlled by uh, even endless research of desire for information where we're, we're drunk on these things that are not helpful to us. They're consuming of the mind, and quite frankly, then we're not able to then walk in a manner that would be consistent with the Lord, because we're chasing after these other things. We're either in a pursuit of other things that doesn't matter, or we're trying to medicate in a way to push things down the road away, so I'll deal with it later. but not now. But the Word of God teaches us to be sober in the mind. But what else? To rest then my hope fully? It's like you just park your hope my hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, the confidence that I have in him and my salvation, the confidence that I can have that he will return, and that I belong to him, I will be with him. He affirmed this to be be true. So I can now rest my hope fully in the grace that will be revealed when Christ comes. Titus chapter 2 speaks into this, I think, really well. giving gives us a lot of instruction about it. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God... That brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. This is almost like a mirrored text to the, what we just saw in First Peter, that in this anticipation of the Lord's return, there's a manner in which I'm going to choose to live now in spite of the circumstances. We're all hopeful that this virus is going to go away, and we all say this, I just look forward to life being normal again. I don't even know what that will look like for sure going forward. None of us do. I'm not living in a manner of just my hope that the virus goes away and we can start doing what we used to do. That may not come to pass. I'm just hopeful our country will settle down and all the infighting and the struggles that are happening amongst people I'm just hopeful that will calm down. Well, I am hopeful for that but I'm not hinging my faith on it. It may not. My hope is not all wound up in the next election of who is and who isn't. If my hope is lying there my word I'll be so distressed, disappointed This is why it's vital for us to have sober-mindedness and gird up the loins of your mind, lock in here to the fact that I am a Christ follower, my hope is in Christ, and I want to walk the rest of my days on this planet living unto the Lord. All these other things are going around. Yeah, they're big, and they impact life, business, education, every dimension of our lives. It impacts all of it. But I can still walk with Jesus. We can still be the messengers of hope. As we focus today we're going to get focused in our mind focusing now on the character of God. Look at verse 14 chapter 1 1 Peter as obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance but as he who called you is holy be also holy in all conduct because it's written be holy for I'm holy. What does the text teach? Well first off we appeal back to the Word of God because it is written Be holy, for I am holy. Is the same thing Jesus did. Remember, when Jesus was tempted by the devil out in the wilderness, what was Jesus' response each time? It is written. It is written. It is written. So here we see it again. It is written, be holy, for I am holy. So as a child of God, we take on this character of God, and I want to focus then my attention on the very character of God. If I focus on the character of God, and I want to emulate that, be imitators of Christ... The, it will render holiness. Well, why is that? Because the very fruit of God's life, the Spirit of God, now lives in me as a Christ follower, so the life of God will be what pours out of you. Love, joy, faith, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Those are the very characteristics of God that now come out of our lives when we focus on the character of God. If we drill down on holiness, and which is not a wrong thing to do... But what we'll try to do as Christ followers is start putting definitions to what is holy. Now, certainly the scripture gives us plenty of instruction for things to put off of our lives anger, wrath, malice, jealousy, envies, and all these things that cause all these struggles between us and other people. Put off all that junk. But put on righteousness and faith and and meekness, and we put on, there's a whole long list of things we can put on that are very profitable. We put off lying and cheating and we put off evil communications that corrupts good manner. But we put on, instead, being kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. We focus on those character qualities of the Lord, but we focus on God, the person, the character of God. And what you'll discover is that renders, then, the holiness of God we desire to know him to walk with him, and to be like him. I know for me as a younger Christ follower especially, when I was trying to focus on holiness, I would try to create these lists of what was right, what was wrong, kind of the, the moral conduct code. Well, once you figure out, well, this is morally, and the conduct of this is deemed acceptable, well, you just live that. It may have nothing to do with spirituality or my pursuit of God, it's just I have found a moral guideline that's going to be operative with the people around me and be acceptable with people around me. You know, throughout the years, churches have struggled with this, whether it's pastors, whether it's boards or councils or groups of people that go about establishing what is holy. The scripture says be holy. So since you don't know how to be holy, we're going to give you the holy list. Of what it looks like to be a holy person. And so if you do this, you're good. If you do this, you're bad. But that's a contradiction often to the scripture. Matter of fact, when Jesus showed up on the scene, he blew all that to pieces. I like Jesus always does fun stuff. He walks into the environment where guys are all legalists about everything. And they have all their check boxes all figured out of what's holy and what's not holy. So he leads the disciples and the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day that have all their boxes in order. They're watching the disciples and saying, Now, hey, how come your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat bread? Well, Jesus never really answers their questions. Not like, well, we didn't have COVID back then, so we didn't have to worry about it. But, no. Because of what he was addressing with them, the Jewish religious leaders in the day, before they would eat bread, would go through this extensive ceremonial wash... Because they have been in the presence of Gentiles, all these unclean people like you and me, that are out in the world every day, and we don't live right, and we don't think right, and we don't do right. But these religious leaders who had all their boxes checked, they would go through, literally it was out in public so people could see it, this big ceremonial, get all clean, wash. Because they had to be perfect. Then they could sit down and eat bread, but they wanted everybody to know, I'm clean now. Jesus grabs the bread, he breaks it up, sits down, let's eat. Well, all the conclusion was, either you're not a rabbi, or this whole thing's a fraud. Well, Jesus addresses the heart of the matter. He says, now why is it that you guys, since you're so concerned about the bread and the washing of the hands, how come is it you dishonor your mother and your your father and you exploit them for money? Isn't that one of the commands to... Honor, father and mother, and Jesus, boom, drills right back, excuse me, at the heart of the matter. So what's the point? The scripture teaches us to be holy for I am holy. And I want to encourage you today, instead of trying to create a list and a bunch of checkboxes of your life, focus on the character of God. Pursue God himself. Pursue the Lord Jesus Christ himself. If you'll pursue the word of God, it will instruct us and God through his power in the word. Because this word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the morrow, and is even a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When you get into the word to just, I want to know God, he will reveal through his word the conduct that follows after him. As a child of God, this, this passage taught as an obedient child. My, my life is before Jesus, or before the Lord himself. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 21 says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. It's just like it is with your kids. You see their goings and their, their doings, and you know what's happening with them. Well, it's the same way with the Lord. I'm not hiding anything from God. There's no disguise here or masking that I can pull off with God. And so he is always instructing me and correcting me and guiding me into a path of holiness. But this text teaches, as obedient children, see it again. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. Before I became a Christ follower, I did these things ignorantly because I didn't know what was true. And here's the point. Now that I know what is true and holy and right... For me to continue to live in sin I'm no longer ignorant about it. Now I'm just willfully disregarding God. And that's what Peter is appealing to here. Get focused he said. I know the world is in chaos. I know it's hard and I know every day you're having to recreate your job. I know you get persecuted. I know this is very difficult but get focused. It's not going to necessarily get better. I'm not going to sing you the song and dance about how wonderful everything will be six months from now. It may not be. Our life as Christ followers, Jesus affirmed that in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so the instruction then is, live as a Christ follower, emulate the Lord Jesus Christ in all manner of life, and be holy for he is holy. Holiness simply means to be set apart for God for worship. Our entire life is this way. In the Old Testament... You would see vessels for worship only used in the temple or in the synagogue, as the only place they were allowed. Because why? They were, they were set apart, you wouldn't drink and you wouldn't wash in certain vessels, because they were set apart for God, just for worship. That's us. We are called the vessels of the living God. In Second Corinthians chapter seven, it says, "As the vessels, purify your vessel. We're set apart for God. So this holiness then is living, what? According to the word in order to bring glory to God. So here's how I find the definition for what is holy in my life. How do I decide? Does it go filtered through the word of God? I have to ask myself, does this bring glory to the Lord? Because whatsoever you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If this conduct can bring glory to the Lord, then Amen. Go for it. And if not, then I better reevaluate here. Is this just a lust of my fleshly appetites as it was in my ignorance? Or does this bring glory to the Lord? So I got to get focused. Focus on the very character of God. I want you to notice verse 17 to focus on the crowns of God as well. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves. ...throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Now the sentence structure of that is... ...you kind of have to do a double take on it. The middle part of that sentence describes the Father. So let's watch it again. And if you call on the Father... ...now the descriptor of the Father is... ...he who without partiality judges according to each one's work. Okay? So now let's just take the first and the last part. And if you call on the Father... ...conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear... So as, I am someone who calls on the Father. Why? Because I am His Son. I know I'm His Son because I've placed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Word teaches me that as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. So I know as a, I am a Christ follower. I am a Son of God. I call upon the Father. Because I call upon the Father, I know that my Father is also my judge because I am His servant. And He deals with me without partiality. So he's gonna judge each one according to one's work. Therefore, I want to conduct my life then throughout my stay here. And I love the way that's phrased throughout your stay as if you're just passing through. You're just a short timer. Yep. Because we're described in 1 Peter as pilgrims and strangers. We've already talked about that in this text of how we are just passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. But I'm gonna, my time while I'm here, needs to be in fear of the lord and what fear well of course we see it as reverence i get that and it's the fear of god's hand of judgment and consequences for sin of course it's the fear of that i would violate the love of god that i would violate his grace that he's extended to me i don't want to do that But there's a pursuit here, if you'll notice, that this our Father is also a judge who judges according to each one's work. Now, there's a day coming as a Christ follower that we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Let's see it together. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Well, this is a judgment for the believer, This is not that decides whether you're going to heaven or going to hell. We hear all those stories about at the pearly gates and Peter and doing his thing. No, those are just for good jokes and talks, okay? But that's not real. The fact of the matter is the Lord is going to take the Christ followers away. And as we all gather together, there will become a day where we will be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and appear before the judgment seat. It is the place of reward. The intention here is reward. And he's given us instruction in the New Testament. What are the rewards that would be doled out here to a good and faithful servant? Well, we find out that he's given, he gives a crown, and I don't know what the crowns look like. I just know that they're called crowns. There's a crown given that's the martyr's crown or the persecuted crown. We see it in Revelation chapter 2, that those who suffer persecution or those who have been martyred for their faith, they suffer the martyr's crown, or they obtain, excuse me, what's called the crown of life. But then there's also the crown of rejoicing, the soul winner's crown, that God gives then this crown to those who have won people to Christ. There's a crown of glory, which is the shepherd's crown. Peter will talk about it much later in this book. The crown of self-discipline, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, to where you get under your body and you do not yield your body to the fleshly appetites. The crown of righteousness is for those who love the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy. These are crowns that are obtainable by any Christ follower. We are to pursue them knowing that there's a day coming we will be before the righteous judge. The persecuted crown, the shepherd's crown, the disciplined crown, the soul winner crown the one that loves just the appearing of Christ to just look forward to his return, I live for the return of Jesus. Those are for anyone. And our Father judges without partiality because they're obtainable to all. And it's the place where reward is given or we choose to live our, life in this, uh, choose to live our lives for ourselves and not for the Lord who's given us life and we suffer loss. You don't lose salvation. No, you lose reward. And the scripture teaches that very definitively that we suffer the loss. 1 Corinthians 3 says you do not lose your salvation. Instead, you suffer the loss of reward that was intended for you all along. To focus then on the crowns of God, we'll also see right now the focus on the Christ of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 "'Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold "'from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, "'but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. "'He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, "'but was manifest in these last times for you, "'who through him believed in God, "'who raised him from the dead and gave him glory "'so that your faith and hope are in God.' Peter uses terms that would have been very common then in talking about redemption. That you were not redeemed with carnal things like silver and gold. Why would he say that? Because at this time in history, if you were not a free-born Roman citizen, you could purchase your citizenship for a price. So people would work to obtain and save money, or someone else might give the money so that they could be redeemed. But it was with silver and gold you bought your redemption somehow. And it sends this polluted thought then that somehow you could work enough for your salvation, it would seem. But he's going to erase that to say, no, ho, ho, that's not possible. In fact, matter of fact, in Acts chapter 22, you kind of see this happen. When Paul gets arrested, who was freeborn, watch what happens. This commander guy. Then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, yes. And the commander answered said, hey, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, Yep but I was born a citizen, oh no, and the guy had totally messed up because this commander had roughed up Paul. As a freeborn, he had higher rank and authority than someone who had purchased their citizenship, so this commander couldn't get out of that problem fast enough. But here's the point. He said, I, with a great sum, I purchased this citizenship of mine. You know what's beautiful for us? With a great sum... Our citizenship was purchased for us, but it wasn't with silver and gold. Our Father in heaven purchased our salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. That was the price of redemption. As a lamb without blemish, without spot, that's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And because of that, Paul makes this plea in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Why is that? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Well, what was the price? I was bought with a price? Yes. I was bought by the cost of Jesus' blood and body that was given for me. To pay for my salvation. All of this was in the mind of the father. That's why he was foreordained. Jesus was before the foundation of the world. Nothing happening right now. Is taking God by surprise. Your sinfulness and mine. Did not take God by surprise. Our need for a savior. God knew that from the beginning. God had the plan. For his son. To redeem mankind before mankind was even on the planet you are not an afterthought you are actually the object of God's affection of his grace and his mercy and his great love wherewith he loved us extending his mercy and grace to us through Jesus Christ the Lord and not only but then he would adopt us into his family give us an inheritance With his son, Jesus Christ the Lord. And would reward us for faithful service unto him. But now this is the plea. Peter says, guys, you got to get focused. I know it's complicated. I know it's messy. I know it's persecuted. I know I get it. But you got to get focused. Be sober minded. And rest your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the only thing you can put your hope in. Don't hope in things are just going to get better. No, you hope here. And you focus then on the character of God, because it will lead you in the pathway of holiness. And you focus your attention on the Christ of God, because it will always lead you back to the cross, and remind you, just like we did through the Lord's table, it will always bring you to the place of remembrance, of of the price of your salvation, which quite frankly will cause you to hate your sin. Which is exactly what he's describing here. This motivation that comes in our heart is because we recognize the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and this great price that was paid that we might be saved. And that's why he says this statement, for you who through him believe in God, through Jesus we believe God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. That's where our security lies, not in whether all these other things get settled and resolved. Nope, our faith and hope is in the Lord God Himself, who gave Himself that we may have eternal life in Christ. My prayer for us, as I was studying and meditating on this, is knowing that so many of us, our lives are, is very challenging. Some impacted by health. Some your jobs are very complicated or don't have one. For some it's the the things that are coming around the curve that, I didn't sign up for this. This isn't the way this is supposed to look. The uncertainties create tumult. There's so many things that are challenging to our hearts right now And I look at my Bible and say, you know, some things have just never changed. In the world, there will be tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So I figured out this week, you know what I want to do? I want to get my mind focused where it needs to be. Focus it on the Lord himself and the hope that we have in Christ. Not on all the problems, but on the one who will walk us through the problems because he's overcome the world if you don't have that kind of confidence in the Lord today maybe you just don't have the relationship with him how do you begin a relationship with God? call upon his name the scripture says when you call upon the name of the Lord he hears and when you call upon the name of the Lord and ask him to save you because you acknowledge that he is the Savior he is God he rose from the dead and he paid your sin debt He hears that prayer and the word of God says, when you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Saved from your sin that separates you from God, rescued from this slavery, from this bondage, you're redeemed, bought out by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then God declares you to be his son and gives you the the blessings of being a son and the security as a son and the hope of being a child of God Because it's a secure and blessed hope. And then we long for just I want to be with Jesus my Savior. And that's what guides you through life and he walks with you through it. If you don't have that confidence today, I pray that this moment, right now, you would respond to God's call in your life.